Welcome to The Self-Made Theory. The podcast that's all about innovating, overcoming and prospering. We interview founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs and other exciting people about their amazing business journey. Over to your host, Ben Campbell, for this week's episode. On today's episode of The Self-Made Theory, I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Sam Costello, who's the co-founder of Biome Bank. It's effectively a poo bank to treat various diseases, and I promise it's not a gross story. It's actually pretty amazing. Dr. Costello undertook his PhD on fecal microbiota transplant, FMT, which is the process of transferring fecal bacteria and other microbes from a healthy individual into another individual as a treatment for ulcerative colitis. He's been an invited speaker at Australian and international conferences, has numerous peer-reviewed publications focusing on the gut microbiome and FMT, and he implemented his specialist knowledge to co-found Biome Bank, Australia's first commercial public stool bank. You will learn about the incredible medical benefits of FMT and the importance of having a healthy microbiome and how Dr. Costello came to found his business, Biome Bank. My name is Ben Campbell, and this is The Self-Made Theory. Dr. Sam Costello, welcome to The Self-Made Theory. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. We're here in your facility. What's the right term for it? Uh, well, stool bank or laboratory, I suppose. There's a lab and there's yeah. an office and there's a place where you freeze stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a toilet. <laughs> there is a toilet. We'll have to have a look at that later. That's the only place I haven't seen yet, your yeah. special special in, installed toilet yeah 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 it's um yeah it's the it's the place where the where the magic happens <laughs> <laughs> we actually better start with your elevator pitch so people actually understand what biome bank is all about yeah okay so biome bank is a stool bank and, and microbial therapeutics company and our um our mission is to really replace the missing microbes that are leading to disease and we aim to to do that worldwide scale. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what a fecal transplant actually is. Yeah, so fecal uh, or fecal microbiota transplantation or FMT uh, involves really collecting stool from a healthy person mm -hmm. and putting it into the gut of a person with disease uh, with the aim of treating the disease. It's really quite a simple process in that respect. The fecal transplant has been around really for a long time so thousands of years really yeah so so it's a process that there's there's records from china from uh back as far as um the third and fourth century of people uh using what they called yellow soup yeah okay and they would collect stool and, and give it to people with dysentery right and reported there were benefits there and there are a number of cultures around the world that have also uh that don't have written traditions but have used essentially fecal transplant in different forms uh, to treat gut conditions. Um, so the, one of the most famous cases were the Bedouin in North Africa and um, there's a great report from World War I where German soldiers in the area were um, struck down with a large outbreak of dysentery and, and they, they took on the local Bedouin practice of actually collecting camel feces and, right. and ingesting that. Uh, to to treat their dysentery and and there's you know, reports in the in the German medical literature of um, 
of of it actually working. Yeah, that's right. It's actually in the animal kingdom. This is really quite common. You would have seen probably dogs doing this, eating feces of other dogs, and a lot of other animals do this to try and we we, we think to re- replace bacteria into their gut that perform important functions for them. So, so what we're doing is not uh, is something that's yeah happens in the natural world has been done for many years, but um, really only in, in Western medicine in, in on a large scale in the last 10 years or so. So now that we've turned everybody off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, Those I, remaining I, listeners, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Actually, I might have to, in, the, in my introduction, record a don't listen to this at breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we tune out between... <laughs> minutes only for consumption between you know 10 and 12 each day yeah um so for those that don't know what the microbiome is can you explain what's what it makes up yes so the microbiome the microbiome is the genes of all the organisms that live on and within us so on as being outside on your skin yeah that's right the gut microbiota is the organisms that live in your gut yeah and that includes bacteria viruses, fungi, archaea, and other organisms. So this is good bacteria and bad bacteria yeah, that we're talking that's about, right. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting because one bacteria might be good in one context and bad in another. Okay. The exact same bacteria, and it depends where it is and uh, and other, other circumstances. So And so what influences the microbiome and the microbiota? Yeah, so a large number of things. We know that diet is a big one. So most of these organisms in our gut need fiber. That's their main food source. Right. And a lot of processed, modern processed food doesn't have fiber or a lot of it's ripped out. Mm. And so the old fruit and veg naturally are partially digested and a lot of that roughage gets through to the large bowel and that's what the bacteria feed off. Right. Whereas in more processed, refined food, a lot of it's absorbed up in the top of the gut and that's what partly why it leads to often weight gain and obesity because the whole thing gets absorbed. Right. But also there's very little that gets to the lower gut and feeds the good bacteria. And so, so that's critical. Antibiotic exposure is a big one. So for obvious reasons, they're designed to kill bacteria, yeah. antibiotics. Um, life-saving and really have changed human history by, by alleviating a lot of disease. And so, you know, they've been amazing but there has been a cost of antibiotic exposure, and that is the loss of organisms within the gut. And we talked about C. difficile infection. That's uh, of, a, of the potential side effect of killing off gut bacteria. But, but we, there are other things. There are other problems from that. So we know that antibiotics in animal models are, are associated with weight gain and obesity. And in fact, antibiotics have commonly been used as growth promoters in, in the food industry. They have, yeah. And so you know, particularly to young animals. So antibiotic exposure in early life, it, it, we think um, is a particular problem and, and, and could lead to a number of issues down the line. So really effectively what you're saying is because we're consuming the meat that comes from those animals, is that, is that our problem? Is that well, part of the problem? Exactly. So, mm. yes. Yeah, so antibiotic exposure in, the, in food yeah. is an issue, but also prescribed antibiotics. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that's, that's another uh, problem. There is also less opportunity to transmit organisms from a person to another person. So, um, you know, 
in particularly at the moment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine you know we're all we're all you know <laughs> lathered up with yeah. <laughs> with hand sanitizer. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so that will reduce the risk of transmitting a disease, so a, a pathogen or a bad organism, which is good. Which is good, but it also reduces the opportunity to transmit um, good organisms. So the organisms that get into your gut. Uh, don't magically get there. You have to essentially um, swallow them. Yeah. And you sw- swallow a, a lot of them during birth, during uh, delivery. I was reading that. Yeah. I was, I was reading some stuff about the difference between cesarean section and vaginal delivery. Yeah, so there are mm. different exposures there. Mm. Um, and then early in life through uh, breast milk is another way that a baby will often pick up a lot of organisms, yeah. so from, from the mother. And and just interacting in the in the early childhood environment with the environment, so other household members, pets, all sorts of things, and playing outside, playing outside, mm. absolutely. You see young children put things in their mouth instinctively. I think there's that's probably not a coincidence, and we know that early early acquisition of the organisms is critically important. Yeah. So a lot of the things that ordinarily would have happened, you know, hundreds of years ago, don't happen so frequently now, and and so. If you if you put all that together, then in 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 modern life we can end up with a depleted gut microbiome. Yeah. And our mission at BioBank is to replenish those missing microbes. Yeah. So, so why can't I just get that through diet? So let's just say yeah. I'm you know, typical, not eating particularly well, yep. and then decide I'm going to go and eat plants like there's no tomorrow. Yep. Will that solve my issues potentially? It would help. Yeah. It would absolutely help because you can you get blooming of better bacteria, yeah. so to speak, and you it will change the composition of your gut microbiome. Yeah. And generally, but if I've got an underlying condition that's yep. going to be solved by a, by a fecal transplant, yep. then I'm not just going to solve that necessarily no. with diet because I'm not getting the bacteria back. That's right. Yeah. So so you can only do so much because you you can change the comp, the relative abundance of what you got, but you you can't add really additional bacteria that easily by that mechanism. Yeah. So we think you need to probably replace missing organisms and um, often improve your diet yeah. so that those organisms can take up. And yeah. So this is not a magic pill, right? This is not, hey, I've eaten terribly for all my life. I've now got a whole bunch of issues with my with my gut. I come to you guys, get a get a quick uh, no. a quick fix <laughs> and then I'm off on my way and I'm fine for the next 30 years. No, no, and at the moment we're supplying for just patients with C. difficile yep. infection, and in the future there will be more and more indications. We think, um, and we're supplying for clinical trials for, for new indications at present, and then looking from those clinical trials to to develop defined therapies. So, so distill down what are the important bugs within the within the fecal transplant that are doing the job, and then packaging those up and and selling those. Yeah. So let's talk about the the medical benefits of yeah. why this is a treatment that makes sense for people. Yeah, so the main indication at present is to treat a condition called uh, clost- uh, well C difficile infection, um, and this is a this is a, a bug that overgrows the gut when the your native gut bacteria are, are diminished. So typically after antibiotic exposure. Yeah, and. The this infection can cause um, severe symptoms, so diarrhea, fever, abdominal pain, and can put land people in hospital, intensive care, even. And there are a large number of people that die worldwide from this condition every year. Wow! And 
one of the problems with it is that the organism itself will often respond to an antibiotic, but the antibiotic causes the collateral damage to the to your native gut bacteria, which then just leaves this sort of ecological space that the bug will then re-emerge into. Right. So the the C. difficile infection, um, the the bug um, is uh, forms a spore, which is quite hardy, and so it's in that way. Uh, and in some cases, the antibiotics just don't work. And so for these people who have the recurrent Costrum difficile infection, the cures with the standard treatments are around 30%, uh, so antibiotic therapies, whereas fecal transplant will uh, result in cure in upwards of 90%. So it's really revolutionized the treatment wow, of this it's condition. It's a massive uplift in huge, in yeah. Rate, isn't it? Yeah, so you just don't see, we call it a delta, so the difference between one treatment and the other of or an improvement of say sixty percent. It's it's you know it's very rare to find therapies that have that level of improvement. That's usually far more incremental change. So it it has revolutionised this condition. This is a relatively common infection in hospitals, but on a worldwide basis, you know, comparing it to more common diseases like you know obesity, high blood pressure, it's much less common. But it's demonstrated. It's a Proof of concept that by radically changing the gut microbiome, you can treat a disease, cure a disease, and and save a life. And so that concept is now being applied to a number of other diseases. And yeah, there's, there's promising results in other conditions, but not as um, well substantiated as for C. diff. Yeah. There's lots of conversation or a lot more conversation about the microbiome yeah. in health circles yeah. than there's ever been before. That's right. Why is that? Are we learning more about it? Yeah, I think so. I think we know more and it seems there is some level of fascination that a lot of people hold around the, around the gut microbiome and, and people really are interested, so scientists but, uh, but also the general public. Mm. One of the reasons that the, the knowledge in the area has really expanded and exploded really in the last 10 or 15 years is because of new techniques with with sequencing. So being able to work out the genetic code of the bacteria in the gut, and there are now, um, we call it metagenomic sequencing, the cost of that has plummeted. So exponential drop in, in cost, similar to you know computer chips and these other technologies that just rapidly drop in cost and allow you know mobile phones to proliferate or, you know, uptake of solar panels to just skyrocket and the same as the same has happened with microbial sequencing and it's it's allowed you know labs all around the world in you know in um, in areas with research teams that don't have big budgets to be able to do this complex sequencing and look at health and look at various diseases and if you look at the curve of research output it's just exploded with that cost drop off and so Every week there's new papers, new understandings uh, because of that. Yeah, so essentially the, the dramatic drop in cost has allowed us to use this sequencing and, and, and gain a greater understanding. So can you give our listeners a bit more insight into what the sequencing actually does? Yeah, so it's essentially a process where the, the DNA from the bacteria is extracted uh, in the laboratory and then... It is um, fragmented and put through a, a sequencing machine, which will tell you the, the base pairs of what, what the code is. 
and and then the uh, computer algorithms algorithms are used to join the um, those bits of code back together, and also then to um, infer that that code equals a bacteria. And there's a there are reference libraries of of genomes of bacteria that you can compare to. And so when you've got your sample, you get the whole genetic code, and then you're comparing it to a library of um, reference genomes where where you would um, then be able to to pick out what what are the um, what bacteria you have in the sample, and also computationally, so using them other computer algorithms, you can piece them together even for bacteria where you haven't grown them or or identified them in that way before. And yeah, that gives a gives you a picture of what's in there. Mm. So before you started BioMBank, you're a gastroenterologist. Yeah, that's right. So how did BioMBank come about? Yeah, so so I um I was in training. Uh, uh, I, well, sorry, I fin- just finished my gastroenterology training. I had an idea to do a, a trial in a fecal transplant in ulcerative colitis, which is um, a condition which affects the lower bowel, the colon, and um, results in inflammation of the bowel and bloody diarrhea, abdominal pain, and is is quite common. So affects up to one in three hundred Australians. Really? Wow. Yeah, and, and it's pretty uncomfortable, isn't it? That's right. It can yeah, be pretty debilitating. Exactly, mm. and it's a condition where we don't really have any therapies that are curative. So uh, we have quite a number of therapies now, and many of them work reasonably well. But there's still a lot of patients who don't get relief from their symptoms adequately, and a fair percentage still go on to have their bowel removed because we can't get the inflammation under control. So there's a clear need for new therapies. And most of the therapies at present also act via suppressing the immune system. And we know that in ulcerative colitis, there is a problem with the gut bacteria. So the gut bacteria are quite different to healthy. Right. And we think that, that, that the gut bacteria are involved in the disease process. There's a lot of hints to that. And so changing it made sense. And so we ran a trial um, as a sort of PhD project and we showed that you could induce remission in this disease. And, and what was the trial? So fecal transplant yeah. in ulcerative colitis. So we had 73 patients in, um, mainly in Adelaide and some patients in Perth and half of them were given fecal transplant and half were given um, essentially their own poo back. Yeah, just as a sort of double-blind exactly, study Exactly, yeah, scenario. and then we could see a difference and we, we could see that the people who got the fecal transplant did better. So, you know, like, yeah, so like roughly a third of patients went into remission versus 9% in the placebo group. And, yeah, and so but to deliver that study, I had to have a reliable source of donors yeah. and 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 so – I'd collect the stool and freeze it and put it in the freezer at the research lab. But because I was working in the hospital, I would hear about these patients with the C. diff infection and I knew that we could treat them with this stool. So we started doing that and then it became available really throughout the state from that stool bank. But it was being funded by the by the PhD and so once that finished, we had to either shut down the service or for, um, create a, a new stool bank. Uh, so, so that's, that's how Biombank came about. It, was, it, it wasn't really as if I meant to – I didn't start with the idea of forming a stool bank. It was just a necessary thing to do the trial. And then once it got set up, it became indispensable really because you, to shut it down would have denied patients treatment. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. 
it's a fairly typical entrepreneurial process. Yeah. Problem, solution. Yes. And <laughs> well, then this other this thing has come out of it that yeah, I didn't necessarily <laughs> intend to to build. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the where you get your donors from. How does yeah. that process work? So we have um, people contact us. Um, and and why do they contact you? Is it just because it's interesting or they want to help yeah, people? Yeah, well, we've or? had some, I suppose we've had, initially we, we would ad, advertise. Right. Um, we'd put some flyers up around the university or um, places like that. But more recently we've had like a little bit of media around the, the stool bank and, uh-huh. and people have jumped on our website and then there's a portal on there that they can register as a donor. Yep. And then we would uh, send out uh, essentially a questionnaire where they would tick box questionnaire and if people pass that and they they were seem to be healthy they would come in and have a medical interview yep so i often do the interviews we have a infectious diseases physician who's our head of donor screening uh, emily and she often does the interviews uh, and then a, a, a medical examination and if if someone's healthy on those two things then they would proceed to have a, a blood and a stool test yeah um and if they pass those two as well, then they enter the donor program. And uh, someone would usually donate from, say, eight to 12 weeks period and then have another stool te- uh, another screening test. Yeah. And if they've passed both of those, then uh, all of the stool that was co- collected and frozen, it can be released uh, for use in hospitals. Mm. Okay. And then so it comes into the lab. Yeah. So they donate actually here at the lab, don't they? They do, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. So we have a toilet on site. Yeah, and yeah. it's a special built toilet just for you guys. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. We had to we had to have it installed. When I first started doing this, uh, I would give people, the volunteers, a bag yeah. and they would take it home and bring it in in a little esky yeah. and then I would take it into the laboratory, which was a research laboratory, yeah. and mix it up myself. But, you know, there were a number of potential things that could go wrong with that process. Thankfully, nothing really did go wrong in that process. But and it really worked well and and treated a lot of patients and they got good outcomes. But we want to be more rigorous and need to be more rigorous because we're now will be regulated by the the Therapeutics Goods Administration. So we have to have total control over the process, including the donation process. So we have to watch someone go into the room and and then come out with their their stool. With this, and then it goes straight into the lab and you start working with that almost immediately. That's don't you? right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So. We don't want it. We we want it uh, as fresh as possible, straight into uh, an anaerobic chamber. So we had a look at those earlier. We did yeah. I'm going to pop some photos. I think up on our website for people to have a look at. Yeah. So they're essentially it's a essentially a perspex box that we pump full of nitrogen, hydrogen, CO2, and so there's no oxygen in there, and the, a lot of the gut bacteria um, can't survive in oxygen uh, an oxygen rich environment. So. By processing the stool in there, we hope to keep more of the organisms alive. Yeah. And then uh, once the product has been processed, we essentially mix, mix the stool with uh, saline or salt water and, and glycerol, a little bit of sugar, and then freeze the freeze the stool. Uh, and that, that glycerol helps keep the bacteria alive during the freezing process. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so then that's in the bank. That's right. Ready yeah. to be used at some point in the future for someone who's Suffering from C. diff or something else. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's frozen down, and then yeah, as I said, once it once we've completed the screening process, then it can be shipped out to to hospitals. Hmm. And so, who are your customers typically? So, you are you being contacted by 
by other gastroenterologists around the country or yes, seeing yeah. clients themselves or? Yeah, so mainly, so we, we, we ship to, to hospitals and, and doctors and, and have it administered and, and then it's the responsibility of the typically a gastroenterologist to administer the, the, the stool product. We function at the moment more like a, I suppose, like a, like a pharmaceutical company in that respect. Uh-huh. We provide to the doctor and then the, the doctor decides whether to, to administer the, the drug or the, you know, the FMT to the patient. Yeah. Our customers, so we supply hospitals in South Australia and uh, Westmead Hospital in Sydney uh, and also we've, we've shipped recently to Victoria and we're looking to expand. So yeah. we think there's a real need in Australia for, for this yeah. and we want to increase access for patients um, and then potentially over, look at overseas as well. So, so you're the first stool bank in Australia? Well, yeah. Well, we're the first commercial, yeah, commercial public available stool bank. Yeah. So, so there um, have been stool banks that have provided FMT, at, like internally within a hospital or a clinic. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we're the, the first to be set up for distribution. Sure. So essentially, to to allow widespread access across the country. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And so, so how do you make money? Well, so who's paying? Is the yeah. client, client paying? Is it the part of the government um, you know, funding program for medicines? How does it work? Yeah, so this is this is a, an issue at the moment. Is that we don't have so it's not it's not rebated on either the um, Medicare schedule or private health insurance, and so hospitals themselves are covering the cost at present by treating a patient. It avoids hospital admissions, it avoids intensive care and surgeries. And this this is cost saving, so we've we've demonstrated that a product not only saves lives but saves money, and so hospitals have taken it up for that reason. But it's still a lot harder than if you've got it refunded by the by Medicare. Yeah. So, are you lobbying government for that to happen? Yeah. So we've approached really like hospital administrators, and we we're working to to get our um our product buy and boost we call it um onto the register of therapeutic goods. The, uh, the ARTG, and once it's once it's on there, then we can essentially look at getting reimbursement schemes uh, put in place. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it, yes, it is. It's a difficult process for a small startup because most companies that are doing this are huge multinational pharmaceutical companies with massive resources and and teams dedicated to dealing with government. So yeah, it's it's it is it's difficult enough building the lab and, and actually providing the product, but, but doing those things in addition is, is tricky, but we, we, we know there's a need and yeah, we we hope that, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to, to get that done. Mm. If you're a founder of a business, a CEO or a senior manager, it's easy to think that you need to work out all of your business and leadership challenges yourself. But just because the buck stops with you doesn't mean you will have all the answers and it can be pretty lonely at the top. Great leaders will have an executive coach in their corner whose role is to challenge you, guide you and support you in a non-biased way that friends and colleagues just can't. Contact us at The Selfmade Theory and let us show you how qualified executive coaching and mentoring can help you innovate, overcome and prosper. So when you decided to start buying bank and you, and you knew that that was a direction you wanted to take, yeah. how did you do that if you're working sort of full-time as a, as a gastroenterologist? Yeah, so, I, so I, I never went to full-time work. 
essentially, like, like clinical work. So because I had to was keeping the the stool bank going, I never took. I, I always allocated time to that, and so I and and so I made it had to make a decision last year. I I, I stopped working in private practice. I still work at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, uh-huh. um, but I spend a, a lot more now, time now in Byron Bank. And, and next year, I expect that I'll be doing even more work, you know, more time in Byron Bank. So probably the majority of my time. That's a pretty big investment. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not an investment in cash, but it really is because you're not running a practice and earning money there. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So there's big opportunity cost yeah. financially. Yep. But I think. Yeah, and I've, I've I've thought a lot about this, and and really, you know, <laughs> as, every, is, as every founder does. Yeah, because you know, I have a family and mm. a mortgage, and yeah, so so there's there's a practical reality, but I suppose I'm ex- like so passionate about this, and I think I have one opportunity. It, it wasn't really that I set out to form a stool bank, but that opportunity happened. And I just know that I'm probably not going to get another opportunity like this. Mm. So um, I'm going to give it basically everything I can yeah. for the next few years and and see how we go. And and I'm, I'm just really lucky that my my wife works and and can help. You know, and 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 that really helps me. Um, Emily also does some work at Bayern Bank, yeah. and that helps as well. Yeah, and so you get so, a bit of a team now. Have yeah, you? so Emily's actually an infectious diseases physician. Okay, so, that's so, helpful. Yeah, so she does the donor <laughs> screening and all those protocols for for us, and those expertise are just uh, yeah, been critical really. So, but also um, Em has another job, and so so that that's meant that we can we can balance things. Yeah, and how many other people have you got on the team? So we have um, so we have five employees mm-hmm. and and a sixth person starting next week actually or no two weeks time that's exciting yeah 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 so we've been able to grow and so you haven't just funded this through sweat and tears right you've no. you've had some external funding as well absolutely yeah mm. so we have revenue from the sale of product yep and all of that goes into basically into research and development and then. Because our, our aim is to develop these defined microbial therapies, we believe they'll have significant value because they'll be scalable yep. worldwide. Um, so, so your intent here is to obviously continue with the collection of samples um, and using those to treat people, yep. but long-term is to work out a way to take our, take the good bacteria out of that and, and package that into a product effectively. Yeah, that's right. and. And we were, um, I was, we were very fortunate to get investment as well early on. So, so the Hospital Research Foundation backed Bayern Bank. Wow. Yeah. So they, so I spent a lot of time going looking for financial support for Bayern Bank. Uh, or at that time, it was just a stool bank that was delivering stool to hospitals. And approached uh, Paul Flynn at the Hospital Research Foundation, and and really he he suggested forming. Um, a company that could then transact with the, the hospitals, and so that was really how we set up. And so they they've provided the seed funding and shareholders in Bayern Bank. Yeah. And more recently, we've been able to raise a second round of funding, and that's that that'll give us a, a really good runway, really for the next eighteen months to go towards a, a Series A round. And at that point of time, we think we'll have enough significant assets where I think 
yeah, investors will see, um, you know, see real value, value that, yeah. that we, we have a, a clear path towards these defined microbial therapies. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. 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 So, so far along the way, what surprised you the most about setting up your own company? I think how much I've enjoyed the learning new things about business and that side of things, the operational side of things, because I just had a, I had medical training and so I knew very little about business, startup, the startup world. And so that, that's been, I've been really surprised how much I've enjoyed that side of it. I wouldn't say I've been surprised that's been a lot of work because I think everyone would realize that yeah, it's going to be a lot of work. So, but yeah, that, that's been, that's what I've, I've really loved that side of it actually. So how, how long has it been now? Uh, so, well, first started a stool bank in 2013, yeah. but Bayern Bank itself was incorporated in December, 2018. Yeah. So coming up to nearly two years. Yes. We moved into this facility at Tech NSA in, in September last year yeah so that's really just one year ago and that's that's where we've had a we've built a clean room and a lab that's that'll be assessed by the uh, the um the tga uh soon um so so it's a full independent uh, facility to process stool product has really only been here for for a year if you had your time over again what would you do differently i think i would have probably i would have started the process a bit earlier probably yeah so i spent there was a fair wilderness period where i had basically no funding and the need for the stool to be delivered to the hospitals and uh, i was trying to you know, i was trying to do my day job and i had no no resources to do it and so there was a real period there it was it was really quite stressful trying to maintain the service without funding and yeah i mean if i if i knew what, what i knew now i could have pitched differently to people and it wasn't even my idea to, to form the company. So that, that's how ignorant I was of the whole process. <laughs> and so, and so, and so, but what, once, once we did form it, I f- was quite fascinated by it and started uh, reading and listening to things, yeah. things like podcasts and yeah. to try and learn how to, you know, set up and run a company. But yeah, I, if I, if I had that knowledge and I think podcasts like this are fantastic for that because I think a lot of people just don't realize you can form your own company. You can actually just go out and do it. And I was absolutely ignorant of that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So someone come along with a big truckload of cash yeah. and said, here it is, go your hardest. What would you do? What would you do from this point forward? We would turbocharge our microbial culture collection. So this is the collection of organisms, yeah. individual bacteria that can uh, then be used to create defined therapies and we would run a number of large randomized control trials of fecal transplant in in different conditions to identify the candidate organisms that will, will give treatments and cures to these diseases um now you're already doing that today aren't we you? are yeah right. so this is just you would just turbocharge that and just do lots and lots and lots more than that's that. right mm-hmm. yeah and we, yeah we're constrained by by the resources and yeah. obviously with with scale, there are a number of other you know, advantages that would come and we'd be able to get therapies out more quickly. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we have enough at the moment to do what we need to do. And, but I think to get a therapy to market is hugely expensive. You know, it, would, it costs upward of a billion dollars in many cases. Yeah. And so we're acutely aware that we can't do that all by ourselves yeah. with our own resource. And so it will take 
having defined therapies and working with partners such as other pharmaceutical companies to really progress through and investors, of course, yeah. um, to progress through phase two and three trials and get things to into the clinic so that pa- patients can benefit. Yeah. So if we have listeners who are suffering with C. diff or something else or people who are interested in donations, how do they find you? Yes, yeah, so we, we have a, a website and there's a donor portal on there for yeah. people who want to donate. Donors have to be from South Australia because uh-huh. we essentially need people to Global. donate on-site regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and people with C. diff can contact us and we can then look to put them in touch with a, a, a local doctor and we can arrange delivery of the, the stool product to treat them. People with other conditions, we are, we're, we're trying to set up clinical trials. We have a... Um, have had one clinical trial in ulcerative colitis um, and we're looking at establishing other clinical trials in other areas. And so, yeah, I, I can't really talk about any specific clinical trials until we have them set yeah. up. Yeah, but um, if they're registered on your website, then that's they'll right. get information and know that those are coming up. Yeah, that's right. Yep, 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 absolutely. We'll put all that detail on the website. Yeah, yeah we, we really want to facilitate clinical trials around Australia, so with partners, if uh, – you know, doctors or clinicians in other hospitals are interested in doing trials, then we would like to support that as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Dr. Sam Costello, thank you very much for sharing your story with the Self-Made Theory. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. It was great. Whether you're a listener from South Australia who wants to get involved in this research or you're a person who wants to learn more about the health benefits of having a healthy microbiome, then visit our website, www.theselfmadetheory.com to find out more. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering.